Okay, we are going live. Welcome to tonight's presentation from Pearl and Andy Lockwood, Lockwood College Prep. How are you, Pearl? How are you? I'm well. How are you? Pretty how good. How are you, everyone? So uh, first, make sure that you can see and hear us. Please uh, let us know in chat that you can see and hear okay, and let us know where you are dialing in from. I'd like to know that. No particular reason. Um, and you keep an eye and let us know that we seem to be coming in loud and clear. Hopefully, you'll learn that the hard way. So tonight is a different type of presentation. Normally, we spend hours, days, weeks, and months uh, preparing. I might be a slight exaggeration. Um, are we coming in loud and clear? Sounds like it. Who do we have? We have Bill at, from San Diego, Bernie from North Carolina, Amber from Sarasota, Leo from Boston. We're, ah, Rick is asking what's a maven, so that means Rick's here. We have Jim Rick's hearing here, us actually. loud and clear. Rick's Thank here. you, Andy from Belmore, and from, and from Anne. Rick is here and confused. Paola Already. from New York, Istvan. Heather from Topeka, Roland from Connecticut. Okay, good. Nice to see you guys. All right, cool. So what I was saying was, uh, normally we prepare, you know, for years uh, for each webinar, but uh, tonight it's almost like I had the night off because what we did was we asked you to submit your questions ahead of time, your burning questions about financial aid. So I have gathered them here. Uh, we had, I think, about forty-eight questions as of a couple of hours ago when I when I printed this off, and um, I am about ready to start asking you most of these. Okay. There's a couple that I, I, I think I should handle, Fine. but, but um, I'm really superfluous here the way I like. Are you ready? I'm ready. I mean, you had a busy day today. You were in the city, made a couple stops. Um, oh, congratulations on accepting the nomination to be the next Republican Speaker of the House. <laughs> that you, you were really busy today. Yeah, that was yeah. a surprise. Yes, the country's coming together. Yeah, I feel like it. You, you are, you are the, the one to unify us. Um, so it's just it's just cool that, that you took time out to do this webinar. Uh, okay, shall we? And and <clears throat> as we are going here, there may be some other questions that come to mind. So feel free to lob them in. The, the one thing I, I want to say, <coughs> excuse me, which I said before when we submit when we accepted these questions was just a little coaching. The best questions, meaning the ones that we are most likely to answer, are the ones that pertain to more than just you. They they pertain to you know, the, at least some people in the group. So that what I'm trying to eliminate are, you know, like when you go on a college tour and someone raises their hand and asks a question and that question is really like four minutes of, my daughter does this and she takes these classes and she, you know. So, humble brag, <laughs> humble brag. Yeah, without the humble, right. right. So um, so, so, the, so the best questions are not those. The best questions are, are going to be the ones that um, hopefully will, uh, not only answer your question, but questions that maybe other people have to. And if, and if you're not sure, obviously, you know, how, that's fine. We know we'll, we'll be the judge of that. But put them into the chat. While Pearl is answering, she will also be managing chat and um, making dinner and running the, uh, the House of Representatives. Yeah. Okay, here we go. Question number one, this one's from Bill. My son is a sophomore, and I intend to move $150,000 from my son's UTMA with my father-in-law as custodian. Where would be the best place to move those assets to get our EFC? By the way, it's no longer called that, but I'm just going right. to go with that. 
down as low as possible. Um, so let me let me answer that one just to be quick. So okay, um, this is easy, right? Well, just just because this is a specific one, and we don't want to get in the weeds. Um, even if you if someone else is the custodian, the child is still the um, whatever the beneficiary, the designee, or whatever, whatever it's called. Mm -hmm. So that's still going to count as a child asset. So you need to what you really need to look at doing, and this is not legal advice, but you need to legally justify taking it out of the child's name entirely and putting it in a place that's exempt. And that um, typically are insurance products and annuity products. There are other types of strategies, but those are the two most most common ones. Okay. Um, this was this one is from Bill. Maybe the same Bill. I don't know. Maybe he's getting one up on us. That's okay. I like that. I like Bill. Um, with the new FA rules, financial aid, will a grandparent paying tuition in any year affect possible student aid? Not Girl. any longer. So that is a plus uh, from the new and improved financial aid rules for the 24-25 year. In the past, before this year, grandparent payment of the college expense would or could be could result in a student income event in the following financial aid year, which is most punitive in terms of uh, eligibility. They have done away with that rule, so grandparents now can freely pay for the college expense without it being a negative hit to the student's financial aid eligibility. Well said. Thanks. As per usual. All right, next question is from Jeanette. I believe that's our client, Jeanette, mom of her son, Alex. <laughs> um, she likes to be referred to that way. In fact, she signs her emails that way sometimes. Really? Mother Sorry. of Alex, yeah. Um, but she has her own identity. Yeah, her own identity. Beyond that? Yes. I believe that. Yes. Um, okay, if there is a college that you want to apply early decision to and applying for financial aid may not align you as a front runner, are there scholarships? outside of this college that one could apply to that could mount up to sizable dollars to help offset the cost of this college. So let me handle that one just yeah. because she and I actually talked about this before. Um, yes and no. So so there are outside scholarships that come from non-college sources. Uh, in, in your situation, or I should say your son's situation, I don't want to distract him. He's got to get his applications done. And when I, when I mean he's got to get his applications done, you know what I mean, Jeanette. So, so um, and many other people here probably have the same issue. It's it's dragging. It's, it's got to get done. So applying for outside scholarships requires a whole lot more applying, writing essays, etc. Right. So that's my first comment. My second comment is we always refer everybody to um, our colleague who's a scholarship search expert. Her name is Jean O'Toole. And I don't, I don't know if you can pop this in chat. Her website is connections101.com, connections101.com. And uh, I recommend signing up for the um, scholarship jump start session, which I think is like 150 bucks or maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. Uh, and she will do all the heavy lifting for you in terms of not wasting your time or, or you wasting your time applying hither and yon uh, for a bunch of scholarships that turn out to be fake contests to get your emails and spam you and make you other offers. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Alex's mom. All right, here we go from Becky. Are there any, well, you're gonna to have to think about how you wanna answer this one. <clears throat> are there any tips or tricks to filling out the CSS profile? Will this hurt us if we make too much money? 
I'm not sure exactly how you want me to answer that. Okay. So yes, there those are. are yes, there are ways to improve your eligibility legally and ethically, but and that's one part of a conversation. And then in terms of whatever it is you make, whatever it is your 2022 adjusted gross income is, your line 11, that is going to be heavily determinative of what you're, what you're going to pay. And you can't really do much to change that, that which is the number that's the numbers that are in your 2022 tax return and the numbers that are asked for the CSS profile, which are also asked for in the FAFSA in terms of the CSS profile income numbers. Um, so there's not really anything to do about that. If your number is higher than you know a certain amount, then you're not going to be need-based eligible even if you had zero assets, the income is going to, you know, is kind of the starting place. And if your income is too high, it's going to be too high on the CSS profile. It's going to be too high on the FAFSA. On the FAFSA. That being said, you don't need to over-volunteer certain things. For example, the value of your home. It is definitely discretionary to some extent what your home can sell for. How it's going to be appraised might be one thing. How it's going, how you're going to list it for sale is going to be another. How it's listed on Zillow is another, and and how you may judge it as compared to what's been sold on your block recently, give or take, and you know your own home. You can determine and lowball the value as long of your home as long as you can defend it. Yes. What about assessed value? Can you use that for your no, home, Pearl? You cannot use the assessed value as the current market value for your home. That is a different figure. But you can arguably and defensively give a lower value to your home, current market value, as long as you can arguably defend it. If, for example, such a school, because I, uh, I did see another question that's sort of related here, you know, how do you... How, what if, you know, how do they go about proving the information you've put in your financial aid applications? Okay. So on the FAFSA, for example, I can tell you that um, they, the schools are going to want all of the information pulled directly from the IRS site into the FAFSA site using formerly known as, I don't know if it will continually be known as the data retrieval tool, but there will be a, a continued mechanism that pulls the IRS submitted information, tax information that you've submitted through your, however, uh, for your 2022 tax return directly into the FAFSA. And to the extent that your FAFSA differs from the information you put in your CSS profile income wise, you're going to have to explain that. In other words, there really should not be a discrepancy between those two income wise. Okay. Um, going on ahead. So is the tip to enter accurate income information? Yes. You have to, of course, accurate input accurate in, um, income information. On the CSS profile, though, you do have an opportunity to reflect on what you expect your 2023 income is going to be and whether you expect any kind of major changes that will affect any part of your financial picture and provide an explanation to that effect. So those are all ways that you can advocate a certain thing, you know, with your CSS profile. If, I don't, you know, I don't know if you'd call that a trick, but. Well, there's a few tricks too, yeah. so, or tips. So, um, so first of all, taking advantage of legal shelters in the financial aid formulas might be a way to improve your eligibility. We just spoke about that, moving money into an, an insurance product. 
on the CSS profile, it would have to be, if, it, if you're talking about an annuity, it would have to be a retirement annuity, a qualified <laughs> annuity. Right. Um, there are other ways to uh, reduce your income, especially if you're self-employed. And right. our uh, accountant, Rick, even though he was confused by what, what was the term he was confused by? Maven. 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 Uh, he happens to be very good, uh, good with numbers, not with words. Um, he calls himself a legend. I call him the ancient legend. Having a great uh, CPA helping you figure out ways to reduce your, your income is a game changer. I can tell you this yeah. personally for us, but also for uh, our clients who mm -hmm. work with Rick. Um, and then there's also things right. you want to stay away from, like mixing up stuff on the on the applications. This may seem pretty basic, but a lot of people confuse uh, parent uh, uh, assets with child assets. And if you do that, that's a huge potential um, way to rob yourself because child assets are penalized far more than, than parent assets. So there, are, there actually are a lot of nuances. Right. And then there's a lot of supplemental questions that get asked. So it's not only about like, how do you lowball a reasonable value of your asset, but it's also what can you do to move stuff around. And, right. and that's what she does. She has, you know, she probably prepare financial aid applications for more than 400 people this year. And she knows all the ins and outs. And obviously the sooner you get a jump on on this, the more planning and potential changes you could make. The closer it gets to the time you have to file, the fewer yep. options you have. Yeah, well, that's a good tip too. Okay, moving right along. Um, thank you, Becky. Stacy. how do I get the most money for out-of-state schools? I'll take that one. Um, there really isn't a lot of money for out-of-state schools unless you're talking about a little bit of merit aid. So the schools that the out-of-state state schools that tend to offer merit aid are um, usually not these super elite public Ivy type schools, but they're a slightly lesser tier around uh, here in the East Coast. That could be Delaware, UConn, uh, UMass, Vermont, you know, University of Delaware, University of Massachusetts, University of Vermont, University of Connecticut. Those types of schools, but not like UCLA or Texas or Michigan or um, what's another public Ivy? Maryland. No, maybe University of Florida. Sometimes they they, they sometimes they give money to to the tippity top students. Oh, Virginia. Virginia's right. a, they, they hardly ever give money. All right, <clears throat> Pearl. This is from Kimberly. She wants to know. Um, why does the CSS ask for retirement assets if it's not included in financial in the in financial aid the calculations? Right, and that's true. That is a true statement. I get that question all the time because they can, because they want to know about it, and I can just reassure you that in practice, I have never seen them take the retirement figure and hold it against a student. I, I don't I've know. heard anecdotal comments from people, but I always take them with a grain of salt. Like one time we had a client, this is years ago, mm -hmm. uh, who, who was told the reason they didn't get money was because they had all this money in retirement. I have not seen that to be yeah, true. Yeah. I really haven't. Yeah. And I've seen hundreds and hundreds and hundreds with many varying types of retirement savings. And I have not seen that to be true. That being said, good point. You're right. Why are they being nosy? because they can be yeah. the same reason they want to know you know what color your cars are <laughs> what color not really what make though no make model year yeah. this yeah. that they, they ask a lot of nosy questions yeah. some schools you know there's the four corners of the css profile that all the schools will, who are requiring the css profile ask this and then 
schools are also permitted to ask their own questions. And some will ask pages and pages of additional really nosy picayune questions like Harvard. Okay. Pro drives an 18 wheel Mack truck, in case you're wondering, to anticipate your follow up question. Um, all right, Kathleen, how accurate is the net price calculator to use as a guide to determine whether the college is in a family's means? What's your experience with those? Uh, use with caution, and I'll, lay, I'll, I'll, lead, let, I'll turn that over to you, but use with caution. Uh, yeah, I mean I, I, that that is that would have been my answer too. They are generally accurate. I don't I don't know if I rely on them. However, I garbage would, in, garbage out though. That too, uh, and they differ. They don't all ask for a uniform set of data. Um, however, I I would still do them. And then in the effect, uh, in the event that you get into that college and you get a financial aid award that is lighter, you know, less than what you saw on the net price calculator, that could be a basis for appeal. So. Uh, I think it's worth doing. I just wouldn't overly rely. All right. Rose Wong, do state universities like the UCs, you know, I guess that's any of the UCs, Michigan, University of uh, Illinois, Urbana, give financial aid to out-of-state students? Are these schools need-blind for out-of-state students? The short answer is only if you are very, very low income and they still tend to favor in-state kids. And by very low, I mean $50,000 or or less. Rosa, uh, how much money can parents have in their savings, minimum emergency fund, without having financial aid start to be reduced for CSS profile schools? Do you want to talk about the asset protection allowance? Yeah. All right. So, which is more for the FAFSA, right? And 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 which has been lower and lower each year. Yeah, but I think part of the change is where right, it's going to increase it. Okay, so. Basically, and the metric, it's a formula that's based on the age of the parents and how many kids. And there, there is a federal asset protection allowance amount that each family can have before which they're going to incur a financial aid penalty. A well, so hang on. So, so just to give you a number, so you're allowed up to a certain amount before you're penalized. So it could be twenty thousand dollars. Yeah, they may increase to maybe twenty five or thirty thousand right. dollars. You can have that in your name, and then anything above without penalty, and anything above that, you're penalized at five percent right. of the amount, which is really not that much. So to give you more numbers, if you have a hundred and twenty thousand dollars of parent assets. The first twenty thousand would be sheltered in this example, and the remaining hundred thousand that you have would incur a five point six four percent penalty, which comes out to approximately fifty four hundred dollars of lost eligibility for having that Isn't extra hundred thousand dollars. Five thousand six hundred forty. Five thousand six hundred forty dollars. Yes. Damn it, Pearl. You, you had so much credibility I, in, until then. Until the actual one hundred and sixty dollars. Yeah. Um, just kidding. I love you. I love you too. Thanks. All right. Next question from uh, Richard Warren. As a high income business owner, am I better off trying to limit how much financial info to share or just throw in the kitchen sink on the assumption that colleges want legacy donors? Uh, well, two things. Yeah. One is is that um, it does show, you know, showing financial strength is something we recommend a lot. I talk about this almost every day with some of our clients who, who are, in, it sounds like, in a similar situation. So um, I would do that. I wouldn't worry about being accurate to the penny, but I would 
definitely fill them out, fill out the applications accurately. Um, the other thing, and this ties in, and I keep mentioning him, and this is probably making him very happy, but um, you, you know, a lot of our high-income business owner clients uh, do very well by working with Rick the Legend and um, and lowering their income in in effect, creating what he calls tax scholarships. So there are a couple of things to talk about for high-income business owners. Richard, are there any other loans with low interest rates that students can take that are not payable immediately? Um, well, meaning they don't have to start paying them back until after they graduate. That is true. I don't. When you're saying other loans, I can tell you that the federal direct loan system does not make you with this, both the student and the parent loan. No payments are needed to be made until six months after graduation. And what about private loans? Private Other loans, loans. Private loans. You know, it really depends. Uh, typically, that's not the case. I mean, right. number one and number two, just be aware. Um, if you enter the private system or do not enter the federal loan system, then you are shutting yourself off from potentially taking advantage of what we've seen especially this year, now that the repayment of these loans are coming due, there are some very beneficial repayment plans that you would be precluded from taking advantage of if you go the private route. Got to be in it to win it. So that's another consideration of why you should maybe hesitate to just go into a private loan situation. Um, I'll just say this as a sidebar, that's another business that we uh, another service that, that we offer, uh, consulting on student loan repayments after you've gotten those student loans. So if anyone is wants help with that, that's outside the scope of tonight's presentation, right. but just um, pop that in chat or email us. You, ha you have our email address and we can send you the information on that. So that was my little commercial message. All right, um, Catherine, is contributing the maximum amount to my retirement plan, including the over 50 catch-up amount, um, does it reduce adjusted gross income used to calculate my financial aid? That's a new rule, right? Yes. So um, before now, <laughs> that would have hurt you. But with the new changes, you can go ahead and contribute to your retirement, and that will help you out. Right. Because it, it, it does only, not penalize you. Right. It used to penalize you. Right. Now those contributions lower your adjusted gross income, and that's the adjusted gross income for financial aid purposes. Mm -hmm. It used to be the opposite. It would get added, added back. back in, yep. even though it was untaxed. Okay. Uh, Thea, do colleges evaluate financial aid eligibility for dual parent families with one income the same way as a divorced parent with one income? That's an interesting, rather esoteric question. I like that one. Okay. So a... Married family with she's asking if income, income is treated the same if you're a married family or you or you're a single parent. No, it's not treated the same. Why? Uh, if you are divorced, then the rule for this year going forward, which is different than it's been, is determined. The custodial parent is determined, and that's whose information is used and whose information is, is used to basically determine the financial aid package. The one custodial parent, the custodial parent is deemed the parent who provided more financial support in the last 12 months to the student. That's the test. 
uh, whichever parent that is, is the custodial parent. It is that parent's information who should be used on the financial aid forms. For FAFSA-only schools, it will just be that parent's information. For CSS profile requiring schools, so there are about 4,000 schools that require the FAFSA, or 4,000 or so schools that are out there altogether, all take the FAFSA. About 400 or so of those 4,000 require the CSS profile. In the CSS profile, with divorced, a divorce situation, again, it's still going to be the custodial parent's information, but there, is, there are a few questions that are going to be asked about the non-custodial parent. And then a subset of these 400 schools will also require the non-custodial parent's financial information, a mirror image, and will count that non-custodial parent's financial information, not as much as the custodial parent, but it will be considered. So for those few, you know, those handful of schools, those CSS profile requiring schools that also require the non-custodial parent's financial information, in that situation, then they would be treated the same as the dual parent married <laughs> family. Um, okay. So let's say in the absence of all these uh, sort of extra hypothetical things, your income, if it's if you're the only one and, and you're a single parent and, that, and there's no other income from an ex or something like that, it's treated pretty much dollar for dollar as if you were married in, for all intents and purposes. Mm -hmm. It's, it's it's based on numbers, but then there's stuff like deductions and things like you know. So so that that might account for some small differences. Right. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Okay. All right, Teresa. I understand the grandparents' five twenty nine will not affect FAFSA going forward, but will the CSS ask for that value? They'll ask. They will. There is a question on the CSS profile that specifically asks for the students' resources to pay for college. Um, like, are they getting any outside scholarships? What does what does the child what does the student think the parents are going to pay? And whatever the parents are going to pay should not include anything that the parent is intending to borrow. Okay, it should just be that which they are planning to take from their current assets and pay over to the school, not which they're going to borrow. Um, that is what? so outside the scope of this question. And then in that same order of so, students' resources, they're asking, are there any relatives that are going to pay? And that's where you would answer that. You would answer, um, if I had a grandparents, um, let's say it said $40,000 was the total in the grandparents, I would put $10,000 for that answer because the concept is that you got four years of college, the grandparents gave 40 for this kid, 10 a year. That is a good answer. The whole thing was a good answer. You give so much. I try. Yeah. So if you're just joining us, we are going through the 47 or 48 um, questions submitted in advance for tonight's financial aid Q&A. Andy Lockwood here with Pearl Lockwood, Pearl Lockwood Financial Aid <clears throat> Maven and incoming Speaker of the House of Representatives. That's false. Just like to make the same joke over and over again. And continuing with Kathy, do you think non-CSS profile schools We'll look at the number of students attending college when awarding institutional aid. I think what I she think means, well, actually, just to keep it to that, non-CSS profile schools that also offer institutional aid, what do you think they're going to do about siblings? Want me to take a stab at that one while you formulate? 
we don't know, but here's the prevailing um, opinion just from people we talk to and stuff that I read at random times uh, in the smallest room of the house, which is not important. Um, so, <clears throat> so, so one of the big bad changes that's happening this year in financial aid is the removal of the so-called sibling discount, which used to operate in terms of doubling the eligibility for a family with two kids who has the same financial positioning as a family with one child in college, you know, same income, same savings, et cetera. So if one, if the family with one kid had a $60,000 contribution that they were able to make, the same family who's the financial doppelganger of family one, but with two kids, it'd be a 30,000 contribution. It would have been split in half up until this year. Now it's gonna be 60,000 no matter what. So the question that we all wanna know is, well, what's gonna happen for real, even though those are the new rules, and our best guess, well, I don't want to speak for you, but mm -hmm. I'll, I'll say it, then you can chime in. Yeah. So the best guess is that um, colleges are not going to yank the carpet out from under right. you, and they're going to, especially if they have their own money, they might make a one-time exception because it really wasn't, I mean, there's warnings for people like us. It's been, this has been pending for two years, but for, for, nor for normies like you, this is like a sudden thing. So we are expecting colleges to be a little nice uh, this year, mm -hmm. but you know, that remains to be seen. We're just starting. The FAFSA's not even out yet. This is, we're, we're, we're doing this session October 25th, and we're expecting the FAFSA to come out <laughs> like December 31st or maybe, maybe yeah, maybe a year, a day, a day before that or something. Not much before that, though. Yeah. Right. That answers another question. When do we think the is coming out? Really, New Year's Eve. Legally, they have to come out by New Year's Eve, and I just don't see that they're going to have their act together with the technical release of this thing until close to New Year's. Yeah, they're updating software, they're doing you know coding, whatever. Right. Be... Or if it does come out, uh, right. I would comes hold out. off for a moment. Nobody's is due before the New Year. Nobody's. It's going to be a cluster unit-wise for not just her, but for colleges behind the scenes. My advice would this. be to wait because we what I have seen in years past in the very first week, just there have been other changes in the past not with like the FAFSA, this, not like this, yeah. but in years past when I've seen, you know, when there has been some kind of overhaul and there's been a release and in that first week, I have seen casualties of that first week, things getting improperly pulled into income that shouldn't be there. And then you have to go and explain and you don't want to be in that position. Just take a breath, give it a week or two, let it work for a little while and then have at it. Um, in terms of timing, filing. Um, the only other comment I was going to say about the the um, multiple student, multiple siblings in school, I think generally the practice they're going to try to keep to what a family, an already in college student has already been used to if they've already been awarded where it's been two in school, not to say if the second kid has graduated, but if that's what the case has been, I think they're going to try to honor what has been until that kid graduates. Yeah. Kind of a word on the street. We're not sure. Right. All right. Good. Shall we? Yeah. All right. Pete, are there any unusual circum uh, unusual expenses that are considered qualified 529 expenses? I read on the site that certain dorm expenses qualify, but those were debunked elsewhere, elsewhere on the internet. I just added that. Uh, from your collective experience, can you think of anything that may se seem a stretch that does qualify? Is there a definitive list available? Yeah, this is a, uh, a this is a black and white um, type of thing. It's not there, there's no gray area. 
you just have to look up on the IRS website, you know, uh, qualified 529 expenses. And it's generally what you said, expenses that are directly related to college. That means tuition. It does mean room and board. It mm-hmm. can mean a laptop. Mm-hmm. Um, it can mean um, $10,000 for private school, you know, high school education, and one or two other things. But it's, it's basically those types of things. No wiggle room. Right. And if you have any questions, you can ask your 529 broker. Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Michael wants to know how do real estate taxes fit into the FAFSA calculations? So your real estate taxes are part of your itemized deductions. Um, of course, if you take a standard deduction, then it will not be part of your itemized deductions, but it is um, part of an answer on both the FAFSA and the CSS profile. So that is how it's accounted for. Is it part of an answer as part of the income? As part of your income right. response, right, on so, both the CSS profile and the FAFSA. Let me just guess what he's getting at. What he's getting at, I believe, Right. Is we pay so much in taxes. Exactly. Do they consider that? Right. Do expenses like property taxes offset or factor into the FAFSA or CSS profile calculations? Pearl. No, they don't. Uh, They're not looking at that expense as something that's going to help you, unfortunately. I can tell you, though, that some schools uh, do have their own institutional forms that in addition to the CSS profile in the FAFSA and like University of Pennsylvania has their own institutional form. And on that form, they specifically ask for your real estate taxes. So perhaps that school takes it into consideration in what way? I'm not really sure, but I just figured I'd share that. Sure. All right. Here's a question that I am a little baffled by. Um, so I'm going to um, blindside you. From Nimit, how do child's 529 plans affect the FAFSA and financial aid or grants if a child is a beneficiary, both parents are alive, on an IRA or even a revocable trust but does not own it? Does that count as student assets? So just to parse well, that, first of all, can a 529 be part of those other... I don't even know. We're not financial advisors, so that's a new one for me. But if a 529 is parent asset. um, I don't think it can be withheld in an IRA. No. And an IRA, if any kind of IRA in the student's name would not count against them in any way. So if you had money, not a 529, in an IRA, that would be exempt. Mm -hmm. If you have a revocable trust. That's a different asset that is asked about. You're asked about it on the CSS profile. Specifically, you're going to be asked... Is there is is the is there a trust uh, that the child's a beneficiary, the student is a beneficiary of, and what type of trust is it? Revocable? Is it irrevocable? Is it testamentary? And is any of the income or principal available to that student now? What age is it available? What you know? What is the corpus of of the trust? So there are questions that are going to be asked on the CSS profile um, about the trust, and then. If any of it is available, if it's, you know, to the extent that it's an asset of the student, that would also go on the FAFSA. Any webinar that uses the word corpus is a webinar I want to participate in. So thank you. Okay, so getting back to the 529, that penalizes you, generally speaking, as a parent asset, which is the lower penalty. But some we've seen some schools treat that as a child asset. Right. So, but generally, it's not. All right. 
Sharon. Um, divorced, I usually fill out the FAFSA. My income is a lot less than dad. I have two kids that will be in college starting fall 24, 2024. I will be claiming both as dependents on the 2022 taxes. What else should I do to ensure we continue to get the aid that we've been getting, especially with two kids in college? So we were just talking about a similar scenario today. Right. Take it away. I'm going to go take a quick nap. Okay. All right. So as I've stated earlier, um, the rule is that the custodial parent is deemed the parent who provides more financial support than the other parent. What is going to be in dishes of that financial support are your tax return, which shows your income, which will logically show kind of how much you bring to the table that way, which direction and how much the child support is. Okay, so I think that's explanatory. But then if they're residing with one parent and then there are other expenses that are therefore being paid for by that potentially lower earning, but maybe greater supporting parent, an argument can be made. The point is you're going to have to be able to defend it if it is called into question. For example, if you happen to have, let's say, a very low income on paper on tax return parent who is claiming that they are the custodial parent because they are financially supporting the student more than the other parent, that's maybe difficult if the other parent is giving sizable amounts of child support, for example. Um, but the point is you're going to, you can make that argument, just be prepared to back it up that you are in fact um, showing financial support in other ways that are not otherwise detectable from just your tax return. And this is an area where we are admittedly feeling our way because there hasn't been a lot of guidance on how to calculate that support. So Pearl's using very logical, smart, you know, common sense types of ways to, to evaluate that. You just need to be prepared to defend it. Um, if it's really obvious that the non-custodial, you know, the X is providing way more support, you, you might be out of luck, but you've got to bend over backwards to figure out how you can show that you provide more support if this is going to work for you. Right. Okay. So we've now finished page two of the five, of the four and a half pages of questions. Great. How do you feel? Take a break? No, go ahead. Okay. Keep going. You want to snack? No. Egg sandwich? No. Okay. Fine. Mindy. <clears throat> Mindy accurately uh, describes, there was no forewarning about the new changes to the FAFSA regarding multiple kids in college at the same time. Gulp, all caps. Yeah, that's what I was saying before. Normies had no warning. We've been talking about this for like two years and it's been pretty boring saying the same thing over and over again, but here we are. Uh, parent finance situations don't double or triple. Yep. So how can they be expected that there's no division of the new EFC, I mean the SAI, mm -hmm, yes, Mindy, right. good student nice. there, student yep. aid index, gold <laughs> star for Mindy. Mm -hmm. um, so basically it's the same question, like what do we do now and what we said, what Pearl said before, I'll just say, restate it here briefly, if you're yeah. just joining us, we think colleges are gonna play ball to some extent and not just wholeheartedly embrace the new rule, but we don't know, but that's that's our, we have three kids in college also, so we're, we're hoping that personally. And you're gonna make your case You'll have to make a case for it. 
meaning at, at the juncture, at the point in time that you are able to sort of, if you, if you, if you do not get a favorable award. On appeal. On appeal. Uh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. I think I have to revise my appeal book. Now you do. Thanks, Pearl. All right. Uh, Andy Benjamin, if you send in the CS's profile to a school that you're applying early decision, mm -hmm. how will the delay in FAFSA, mm -hmm. possibly to the end of December, okay. definitely to the end of December, affect qualification of aid? Okay. Again, we are going into an unchartered year in terms of timing in that typically both the FAFSA and the CSS profile come out in October. And if you are applying early action, early decision, your priority financial aid deadline for those application status that applying that way is that you submit both the CSS profile and the FAFSA at an early date. And then you get you find out your decision, and then you get a financial aid package. So how's that going to work this year when the FAFSA is not going to come out till January? Well, I speculate that the following is going to happen. I think you're going to apply. You're going to submit a CSS profile that is going to be, you know, according to the early timeline, November first, November fifteenth, December first, something like that. You'll get your admissions decision back. Sometime end of Hopefully, December yeah. or January, depending on the school. And you will get then, I believe, a provisional award from the school saying what your provisional financial aid package is subject to what they see on the FAFSA, subject to change if the FAFSA, you know, turns something upside down in terms of what you've already submitted in the CSS. That's unlikely. So it will likely just endorse because that's where you're going to get the proof from the IRS coming through that FAFSA that the school is going to want to see. It's a verification, essentially, of your income. Um, but don't forget, if you've, if you've applied with a CSS profile, at that point, they're going to have your actual tax return to make a package, you know, to, to decide your financial aid package. So... Um, I think that in those cases, the FAFSA is just going to be an endorsement of, of the package that is going to be awarded, and that's how I think they're going to handle it. Yeah, I mean, it's like three times or four times as long as the FAFSA or right, the profile, so they're going to have all the information they need. Yes. So barring any weird discrepancies, right. know, that should be the, final. The CSS profile is really what has much more information on it than the FAFSA. Yeah, FAFSA yeah, 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 yeah. information okay. is subsumed within the CSS. Okay, fine. So. Jillian. Just trying to keep you on track. Go ahead, thanks. How annoying is that? Uh, no, it's fine. I know it's annoying. Um, Jillian, okay, this is interesting. So I'm going to maybe do a little interpretation here. I co-own an investment property, but didn't file tax as the other person filed tax all the time. I already transferred the ownership. Do I report income from 2022 on FAFSA? Well. Do you own it? If you don't own it, then you, you don't then own it. You don't, then, you're, then you don't report any income. Right. If you owned it in 2022. Well, so I have that. I have that with some clients. Yeah, and yeah. basically, I'll see a property on their Schedule E of their 2022 tax return. And then when I ask them, they're going to go, oh, we knew we sold that two years ago. Okay. So what you would do, because you don't want to just ignore it, because the school is going to see the existence, let's say, of a property that you may not own. You would, that would be a perfect thing. You could check other in your CSS 
and on your explanation, the property located at da -da 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 that is on my Schedule C was sold in you know February 2022. We no longer own it, or for a business sometimes. This was a business; it no longer it no longer exists. You know, you just put an explanation. Good. Um, how do people get in touch with you? Get in touch with us. I will put in our yeah. website. Well, we have. And our no, no, I think you can just pop the strategy session offer. <laughs> okay. Is that loaded there? Yes. yes. So um, we will waive the consultation fee. It's a free 15 minute call if you want to talk about any of the stuff about your own situation. One thing I'll say right now is we are not taking on any clients who have November 1 financial aid deadlines because we can't, I want to burden her that much. We have a big weekend coming up. If you're really organized, you can stuff together. All I right, would let's just drop that. All right, fine. Um, so that is now uh, on your screen. College strategy yes. session, free. Okay, Meryl, I have a question regarding the new FAFSA. Okay, this is something we talked about a little bit, but she rephrased it in a better way. So I'm just going to ask it again, even though it's repetitious. Regarding the FAFSA for divorced and separated parents, I believe that the parent who provides the most support is the parent who will need to complete it. But what does that mean exactly? How does child support factor into this? So I'll go through that one more time in summary. Okay, so uh, once you've determined which parent is the custodial parent, and that is the parent who provided the most financial support in the last 12 months for that student. She's asking what that means. That's the question. What it means is you would- Who provides the I, most? How do you figure that out? You would look at what you provide, what you have in your tax return, what they have in their tax return, what child support actually has gone from one parent to the other or in the other direction. And this is a little bit of the subjective part. If there is a case to be made that other things that are not necessarily specifically in your tax return or in the child support, but you are providing like your food, your house, you're driving them everywhere, you've given them a car, that is financial support and it counts. And it, you can quantify that in your in some way um just so that you're prepared and it is a defense it's defensible that you are the custodial parent good i appreciate that okay this is from Preeti. let's say i'll say this let's say that there's hundred dollars in the custodial account i read somewhere that 20 percent of that is considered for financial aid that's the child penalty mm -hmm. it's actually up to 25 percent. so for four years will it be 20 percent every year you reapply for financial aid every year so right. at that time of when, of when you apply but that's a way you can try to improve eligibility right. it, you'd be better off spending that on a computer so that that asset is no longer there all right martin what is the number one reason a family with financial means to pay for college can still get financial aid? That is a combination of two factors, depending on whether you're self-employed or W-2 employee. The main thing, and this is what we, you know, a lot of our clients don't qualify for financial aid. The main thing for is- For need-based aid. Yeah, for, right. for need-based financial aid, <clears throat> um, because they are of, of means or you know, high income, et cetera. So typically the way that we help them is by, to figure out which pond to fish in, you know, picking the schools that are a, a great fit for them for their goals that we help them with, but B, likely to roll out the red carpet with offers of merit aid. <clears throat> if you're self-employed, then there are additional techniques, the tax scholarships that are living legend 
Rick, the CPA, who may or may not still be with us tonight. I mean, on the webinar, I think he's still alive. Um, are uh, are very well versed in, and that's another way we help our clients. We give him a fair amount of referrals. Uh, Stewart, how best can you negotiate with a SUNY school when they have very little money? I, I honestly very rarely am successful, so I don't I don't have any tips there. Sorry. Right. Uh, Ray, should I pay down all debt, credit card bills, family loans, etc., before applying for aid, even if it means incurring capital gains to do so? Um, so I don't see how there would be capital gains by paying down debt, first of all, but again, I'm not a financial advisor, but that is a way to reduce your cash. I don't know how much it's going to actually help, right. but it's going to help you for financial aid in a minuscule way, to, unless you have like a million dollars of, of debt. Uh, and I don't, I don't judge. Um, related inverse, nice, nice inverse. Should I liquidate stocks and options assets to zero out debt before applying for aid? That's where you get into capital gains and all sorts of other income events that may be um, negative. Right. right. I just, I just want to be clear. Um, you're not getting any credit for having paid off your debts in terms of indirectly. You are because well, you are. If you're lowering cash. kind of what you show. That's true. Yeah. But I just want that not to be confused with some extra benefit that you think you're getting because you're reducing your debt in the eyes of the financial aid offices. They don't really care. You don't want that to be confused or conflated. Pearl went through about a six month period where she where <laughs> she was overusing the word conflate. And, and now course, I won't use it. Because, well, of course, because I'm such a you know nice person. I kept calling her out on it. So now I won't use it. It was like six months. Mm -hmm. It was so conflated. I meant confused though. Okay. Lisa, what is the best way to use a 529 to your advantage when applying for scholarships? Uh, I don't think there's any relationship between 529 and scholarships, so so there's no strategy there. Uh, how to maximize one's chances for financial aid and how to deal with damage limitation of roadblocks, etc. cetera. Um, so in, in general, 529 is an asset that counts against you. But that's the thing about the 529. It's not whether it penalizes you, it's how much. Mm -hmm. So ideally, the less you have, you know, the more the greater your eligibility. But again, it's five, it's usually considered five percent of that amount, but that's the penalty. So if you have a, a 529 of fifty thousand dollars, then your possible reduction in eligibility will be about twenty five hundred, twenty six hundred bucks. So it's you know, it, it is money, but it's not a huge amount. So I wouldn't twist yourself into knots because if you um, use the 529 early for a non-higher uh, education qualified expense, right. then you pay a penalty on the earnings, which is 10%. That would do some weighing there. Um, usually it doesn't seem to work out. Occasionally it does. Oh, Tara, did you ever hear back from Tara? Yes. Okay, good. Uh, so she's she's here tonight, or she at least yes. she put in a question. And I owe her, I owe her, I owe her an email. I owe her All right, let's focus. someone else's let's email. Fo let's focus. All right. Hoping to see um, her Sunday. Uh, how does? Run. Oh, nice. Uh, she's at Cornell. Yeah. Oh, nice. All right. Um, how does the middle class family with just enough income and assets, etc., that they are disqualified from receiving any aid, but not enough disposable income to pay the full sticker price, actually get some aid? Yeah, I mean that is um, like 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 you've seen, but you described a lot of people. There are some strategies that you can do to squeak by and get some aid, but a lot of it has to do with where you are applying, and that's right. one of the dirty little secrets about this: is that colleges engage 
in what they call uh, preferential packaging, and they will favor the people that they want, either for grades or scores or certain ethnicities or certain talents or leg, you know, some, something like that. All right. Katie. Um, I mean, that, maybe that was Katie's question. I mean, I've conflated and confused the, the two questions there. So, okay. So, I may, I may misattributed one question, but I covered them both. Um, should a grandparent open a 529 using 401k money for the grandchildren or give the money to the parents and have them open the account? Well, that is a very specific question that's a little out of our league, I would say, because we are, again, not financial advisors. It's, um, to me, it strikes me as a very bad idea to pull money out of a 401k account that's for your retirement on for, for the benefit of somebody else. But um, we've seen all kinds of strange things. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how whatever you do as a grandparent will affect the grandkids and their eligibility this year going forward, doesn't matter. So you can give as much money as you want from your from a 529, from somehow from a 401k, although that doesn't strike me as a good idea because you'll probably, you'll probably be penalized on that. From your own assets, normally up until this year, that would have penalized the grandkids. It no longer does. So, so giveaway. All right. <clears throat> Peter, how does a low-income, high-asset family get financial aid? For example, uh, 65000 adjusted gross income, 700000 assets. That is a perfect situation for us because yep. you have the ability to your 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 income is is very low for financial aid purposes, and you have the ability to shelter a chunk right. of those assets in some sort of financial product. Yep. Typically, we see insurance products, sometimes annuities. There are other techniques. Yeah, we're not. I, I know. I keep saying this. We're not financial advisors, but we would either rec work with whoever you have, or we would. Um, recommend someone if you don't have But somebody. you definitely have an opportunity to improve your eligibility with, yeah, with that scenario. I literally was emailing someone about 45 minutes before we started tonight who um, has a client that we referred who has about 600000 in assets and a relatively low income also. So it was almost the same scenario as what you just said. Uh, Jamie, how do you determine which scholarships are worth trying for? Are there sites that show that people apply, get certain ones? Yeah, I, I think most of those sites are actually pretty disappointing mm -hmm. and a waste of time. So, right. so the one site that I recommend is really, you know, it's not really a site, it's talking to Gene, right. Gene O'Toole, which you already put in there, scroll yeah. up in the chat, connections101.com, connections101.com. Um, all right, Christina, concerned about submitting the applications and not having all the numbers matched due to timing of submissions and status of bank account. Okay. Last, ah, ah, last year, last year was a bit of an anomaly for me with the transition from one job to another and a small severance package. Will that make a difference? Told you. The, ah, 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 ah. So in, in financial aid, the, the problem, but there's a solution. The problem is that it's a there's a two year look back. So if you're so you have someone graduate 2024, and you had a high income in 22, then you may not qualify for much if anything. If since then the reality is different, and you had a lower 23, they won't know about that. Oh, excuse me, unless you appeal, um, and say exactly what I said, which was 
I know you're looking at my income from two years ago, but the reality since then has been far different. So that, that is actually grounds for, for an appeal. And, and therefore, what you should do is file your 2023 tax return as soon as you are able to so that you can pro provide the 2023 income information, new and better financial information to the financial aid office of any school that you're uh, applying to, can seriously considering so that they have that in their consideration. Yeah. yeah, right. And that might be March. Because the other thing I'll, I'll add is schools don't really concern themselves with future events. So make sure whatever information you want them to do something about is actually happening now. So you're providing a 2023 income. Here it is now. This is what it is. Not, I'm expecting my 2023 income. But we don't care about expectation. I'm expecting to retire. I'm expecting to do this. I'm hoping the world is still in existence. All right. The I'm point is, to lose 20 pounds. you need to deal with things as is. Schools will ignore things about what I think, what's going to happen. They expect, okay, you got my point. You know, I just realized it's been about five minutes and I haven't plugged uh, Rick, the legendary CPA. <laughs> or use the word complaint. Yeah. I, um, we should start charging him for, <laughs> for uh, placement. <laughs> Product placement? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. All right, Esther, two children college at the same time is no longer an advantage. How will this affect Pell Grant eligibility? Pell Grant. If one or more siblings was receiving the Pell Grant with the old formulas, what documents? Oh wait, that, that's that's the last one. Yeah, well, Pell Grant is a is a federal grant, and um, we're not sure if there's going to be discretion that way from right. colleges. But we are hopeful, cautiously optimistic, that you may not bear the brunt right this year coming up, maybe in future years. The changes in the financial aid formula are designed to help and widen the tent for lower income families. So. Hopefully, you know, that would keep a Pell in place for a family receiving it. We are guessing. Right. We should have all sorts of disclaimers, like those uh, pharmacy, those pharmaceutical commercials. In the, the yeah. hushed tones. Yeah, may cause bleeding. You are going to have side effects. <laughs> right, right. May cause death. May cause an arrest. Oh, never mind. All right. Um, Linda, what documents and data are needed to fill out the CSS profile? Your end documents, taxes. What if you file it jointly but both work? What if you file jointly and you both yeah. work? That's great. Then you would put all of your what documents? Your 2022 tax return along with your W-2, along with your bank statements and any other investment current statements. You would use those values for your assets, and you would use the 2022 income information. Uh, obviously for the baseline income information on the CSS profile when they're asking you about 2023 expected income. To the extent that you know your information, you can put your information. If you don't know, then you can use your 2022 numbers as an estimate, assuming nothing else has really changed, for your 23. You can uh, look at your pay stubs. Right and project what's going to happen yes. yeah but there are let's say there let's say you have a w-2 earner and then you have a self-employed business owner spouse and maybe the business information and what that 
business is going to net out to your personal return. We're not really sure. That could be a wide swing of $100,000. So if you're not sure, but you feel your business is doing similarly or a little worse or a little better than 22, use your 22 numbers and make those adjustments just as an expectation. Again, they're not relying on those expected numbers. However, it does tell a story, especially if you have a lost business now by 23 or a, a, a lost income, a lost job, something like that. Seeing the absence of the number is going to tell a story. So there could be a lot more than what you just said. That was a very short and, thor and thorough answer, but there could be a lot more because if you're a business owner and you have different entities, right. you need all those documents, all every every return that you right. file. If you um, own a house, you're going to need to have at your at your fingertips information to answer when about it was, the right. May I? Yes. May I? Good. Year. There you go. Go ahead. There you go. The year it was purchased, how much you owe on it, what the current market value is. Um, I would have said that. I would have said that. How much purchase price? Exactly. Whether it's a twice. rental property, how many months you rent it out for, is it an additional family property? So there are a lot of questions that you're going to have. You're going to need your logins, your college board logins. So, so the CSS profile is a bitch. So I, pardon my français. It could be more than 200 questions depending on the colleges that you're applying to. Pearl uh, alluded to this about a half hour ago. Sometimes they ask additional questions like, what's the make and model of your car? Mm -hmm. Would you pay for it? You know, all this other stuff. So, so it's not just your income taxes and a couple of bank statements. There could be a whole lot more that, you know, you just do these so much you take them for granted, but it's, it's actually, that's true. Uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah. And that's why people work with Pearl. Commercial message. Hmm. Okay. All righty. This one is from Elsa. This is an easy one. So I will do this one. I like the easy ones. What's the maximum household income that will not make you, I think she said, it means eligible for any aid? Um, there's actually no bright line income test. Generally speaking, if you're applying to a private school and you have one kid in college, and I'm going off the old rules, the closer you get to $200,000, the harder it is to qualify for need-based aid. If you're applying to a state university, that number is a lot less. It could be in the fifty dollars or $60,000 adjusted gross income range. Nikki, a little preamble here. Let me make sure I do this right. Mom is 100% responsible for college. Child just entered ninth grade. Divorced with joint legal custody, and mom has primary physical custody. Dad pays child support, will do nothing more. Dad makes X amount per year, a lot. Mom works part-time, is on disability. Mom gets disability income for both children and herself. FAFSA, I'm afraid, will require father's information. Is that always possible? Can we exclude the dad's financials? So you've we've talked about right. this. This is just another variation, but just go through it again. Again, so in your scenario, if let's say the only thing you're getting, it's not just de facto, just because he makes more and you don't that that he's the custodial parent. He may make more and give not much to his children, and therefore he would not be considered the custodial parent. If his child support payments to you is greater than everything you earn and everything else you do to financially support them, then I agree, I have that concern. But if that is re refutable, then you can comfortably 
be the custodial parent and just understand you may need to, you know, come forward with some of the other ways you support your children. And good for you for thinking about this now. Yes. Not, not great because your lawyers probably are not. This right. is This is new. So these, a lot of these changes, we talked about the sibling discount, quote unquote, et cetera, blindsided normies. They also, the divorce, the divorce changes the blindsided attorneys too. Um, Megan, if my assets, excuse me, house financial accounts are in a special needs trust, are they reportable on the FAFSA? The house is never reportable on the FAFSA. Right. The primary residence is exempt. The other stuff in a special needs trust, it, well, all trusts are, are asked about, are they not? Yes. Well, yeah, but it depends really. A special needs trust may be treated differently okay. because that actually is, is a specific term of art, is different than trust so you have to look at the directions of yes the FAFSA? yeah okay i think it's reportable but she's the one who does all the all the FAFSA. i'm not sure i'm sort of feeling like that's like a grandparent medicare situation you know in the same vein it's literally for that special needs all right so we didn't really help student, you there yeah. but that's uh, i'm sorry that's yeah. the first time pros been i don't want to speak out of term but right. i think it's specific to special up, needs trust i'll, I'll yeah. email everyone tomorrow okay. after the brains yeah. of the operation figures this out while hmm. while i'm playing golf yeah. Um, Udani, how do they calculate the family income to decide if you're getting any money or not when they file the FAFSA? It uh, is. I'll just answer that one right. quickly because basically it's by formula and it's up to 47% of the adjusted gross income. So it's a sliding scale depending on how much you make, but just mentally go with 47% of your income. Fair? Sure. Okay. Kimberly, for the how much can you pay for college question, right? That's on this right. profile. Okay. Is it? Is it realistic to say sixty thousand dollars? Is that worth submitting, or does one need to lowball to get anything? Thank you. Okay, great question. I would definitely not over volunteer a number because they will sort of attribute you with the ability to pay that number. Um, you can. You also should not include any number that you are planning to borrow. So if you are literally planning on maybe just giving $5,000 of money you have and borrowing the rest that you owe, then you would indicate $5,000 is what you are looking to pay. Well, what if you are, are mentally budgeting $60,000? Should you volunteer that or should, would you recommend coming up with something less? It depends. If okay. you were not... With, let me answer this. Come up with something less. And and you can't say zero, but I think what you said, twenty thousand bucks, is probably a fair number. I think if you're not need eligible, and you are filling out the CSS, and you know, and you're looking at an eighty thousand dollars school, saying sixty thousand indicates I know I'm kind of paying full boat, but I'm hoping for a merit award a little bit. You know. Yeah, I would still go lower than that okay. personally. We'll just have to talk that one out, babe. <laughs> okay. Little mess negotiator. Um, Cynthia, what if I haven't put any money away from my child's college education? Will I still be able to secure student loans and grants and scholarships to cover it all? Yeah, uh, the answer is as long as your credit is not in either like a foreclosure or a recent bankruptcy or tax lien. It can be pretty mediocre. It can be pretty mediocre and it will pass. It is just a yes, no proposition. Yes, your credit passes or no, it doesn't. And yes, if your credit passes and you want to borrow $20,000 or you want to borrow the entire cost of attendance, that's your option. 
That's Which your could choice. Be Eighty-five, ninety thousand right. dollars. Yes, and you can do that, and you it covers everything: room, board, tuition, and you can do that for all four years, and you don't need to pay anything until six months after graduation. That's all fine. It is not income based; it's credit based for right. parent. And that's and that's a great question because we hardly ever cover that. But the way things work in higher education is that it doesn't matter, like you said, if you put money away or not, or if you're employed or not, really. It's just yes. whether your credit is mediocre or Good better. Good enough. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And we, and frankly, and we've seen, people with, not, really, we've seen okay. people with really bad credit. Right. You approve them in minutes. That's it's true. Nice. Even if you do not, if your credit does not pass because you do have one of those things, then you there's you're still not out of luck you can get an endorser oh, some relative nice. or some who is who does have good credit and again could have no income it could be your 90 year old grandparent who has stellar credit and hasn't you know had a job in 30 years they could be a co-signer of course they have to That's... be willing to step in your shoes and pay your bill if, if right. you default on it but that's you know so it's a it's a big commitment to yeah. be an endorser but a, it's possible. That was a nice addition. You know what I'm thinking? Nope. Nice pull. <laughs> I should have guessed that. Yep. That's a private bad joke. <laughs> all right. As opposed to my public ones. Yeah. Carissa, all right. For smaller top-tier liberal arts colleges that say they meet 100% of demonstrated need, mm -hmm. like Williams, Wellesley, etc., but no merit offered, and Division three, so no athletic scholarships, is there any hope? that their net price calculator is wrong and that we should qualify for some aid from the school. Their net price calculators basically say that we will be responsible for the whole amount, which I feel is absurd, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Trying to figure out whether to even try when we know we can't afford $8,000 a year. Um, I would say that for those colleges, the Williams, Pomona, Dartmouth, Wellesley, et cetera, those net price calculators are probably basically accurate, unfortunately. So um, what, what, you should ask for if you are a recruited athlete. I mean, you said Division Three, but you also mentioned Dartmouth. Um, but but if, if your child is a recruited athlete, I would talk to the coach about this and ask them for a financial pre-read, which is basically the equivalent of you submitting a um, draft CSS profile and them, com them coming back and saying, well, based on what you're submitting to us, this is what you'd be looking at in terms of a package. That'll be better than that than that price calculator. But my guess is that if you're putting the information in correctly, um, those schools' net price calculators are usually accurate. Yes, I, I'm I'm about to add something that's like a little subjective and a little whatever. But just because we're on the subject in terms of whether you should and whether you should should you really okay. My my advice is always with this: cast a wide net. You don't know how it's going to shake out. You really don't. And, and sometimes there's even no rhyme or reason between the, the level of competitiveness and where you get in or don't get in. In other words, okay, so number one, cast a wide net, apply to a lot of schools if you're thinking about it at all. Sure, because eventually what you want is you want to have all the choices in front of you, and then you want to do a deep dive and see who's doing what, who's giving you what, and what's really my best option. Okay, and I can also share with you that in practice, we have seen over the years students apply to schools that offer no merit where and where the family is not need eligible by the net price calculator however we've applied in, in this scenario 
we you know what I'm talking about. He, yes, I know we've applied. About. You know, he's applied to other schools. He happens. He happened to have been like a phenomenal candidate. But I'm just giving you the facts. He was applying to non-merit giving schools and is not need eligible. Like a little school in Canberra. Yeah, amongst others. That's not. Less, and less initially, college. the kid got zero. You know, which was proper for really what we put in financial aid wise, et cetera, and so forth. Yeah, I was a dentist in New York City. Right. Right. I actually told the story last um, night at the Did you really? That's funny. Yeah. Um, anyway, lo and behold, he had other financial aid packages that were great. We were able to use those financial aid competing awards to the school he really wanted to go to and say, hey, you know, look, can you meet or exceed this? You know, we got these other packages we're forced to consider, blah, blah, blah. Um, and there, there was a bidding, a bidding war ensued. And from nothing, this kid got, you know, was it $50,000 off the price was, of Harvard? It was, it was zero to seven. And then another offer from Princeton or Brown came in at 30. And then we went to Harvard right. and Harvard said, we don't. Negotiate. This is real. Harvard said, we don't match. But let's take another look. Right. And then ultimately $53,000. By the way, <clears throat> that's all true. Right. To be fair. And I'm going to overstate this. Well, right. To be fair, may I? The reason we both came up with the same story is because it doesn't happen that much. Right. So back to the question, I would still trust the net price calculator yes. and I would still request the pre-read, but stranger things have happened. Right. Because again, this is a fluid situation. You just don't know how it's going to spin out. You don't know what other packages you're going to get. And you don't know, especially if you're a student athlete, like just how badly they want you. Maybe they are willing to show the money for you. So that's all I wanted to share. That was, that was a nice share. Nice pull. Um, all right. So then we got some more divorce family questions, but I think we answered those. Uh, and, and, you can, and you can meet with us for a free college strategy session if you have yes. your deep dive questions okay. on that. When a family has an EFC, now SAI, of zero, mm -hmm. or let's say $10,000 or under, mm -hmm. are you finding... That nice active listening. I appreciate that. Do you? Do you, <laughs> you can just sit there too. <laughs> We're never like this off here. By the way, our daughter Lizzie loves this. She 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 loves these reactions. Anyway, where was I? Are you finding that financial aid given is heavily in the form of grants or in the form of loans? This is for schools other than. The highest selective institutions with huge endowments like Penn, etc., that give all aid in free money and grants. He's talking more about this is uh, Gary, more about schools like Syracuse or Delphi or Hofstra or Fairfield. Um, so what I would say is those colleges give a mix of loans and grants, but the amount of loans that they offer are very low in general. You know, fifty-five hundred dollars as as a freshman. So um, what they do is they offer the standard $5,500. Then they'll give, um, an, a, you know, depending on the school, either a good or a very good amount of free money. But there'll always be what they call a gap, which is the difference between the cost of attendance versus any of the financial aid that's offered. So the loans that really um, are, the, are subject to this type of scenario are generally parent loans. For, for the most part, which can be the entire difference of that of that gap between what's offered and what's owed. 
You want to go to some of these extra questions? Yeah, we have some extra questions. All right. I'm going to focus on the ones that really have not been asked. Um, okay. If you have a rental property, parent has a rental property, does it make any difference as to how many months it is rented versus used for yourself? Do I put three months or 12 months and will it make a difference aside from the income that's provided? Well, this is to consider it as a primary residence versus a rental? No, I don't think so. I think it's just to indicate the investment rental property that they have, whether they okay. in part use it to rent it out completely or do they, you know, they use it for themselves. The income you actually make from it is what's going to control here. Yeah, but I would make the argument that if you rent it out for the summer and you live in it the rest of the year, that's a primary residence. If, I don't know that that's know. what sh this is, is being described. Here. I don't know either, okay. but but um, if, if you can say that you live there as a primary residence the majority of time, then I would exclude it on the FAFSA. Right. On If you're applying to a CSS profile school, they ask about your primary residence. I would still call it that, but um, if, if you can justify it. I didn't get that. Okay. Fine. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. How can you, from Shirley, how can you negotiate for a better financial aid package? Shirley, you can't be serious. Yes, I am, and don't call me. Well, okay. Shirley. Right. So, um, Airplanes. there are, oh, there are, uh, there are three conditions or three scenarios that, that seem to work. They all have to do with new information that's not already on your financial aid applications. One could be that, and I talked about this uh, earlier, if your income since your base year, since the time you filed your financial aid applications has dropped. So for someone applying for financial aid for the 2024-2025 school year, they're looking at your your income from 2022. If 23 was a really bad year, that's appealable. If you, in that ensuing year, had extremely high unusual expenses, not property taxes, that's not new information anyway because they know where you live from your address. But if you had huge medical bills, unfortunately, or huge um, legal or, or property damage or something, you know, something that really affected your ability to pay for college, they wouldn't know about that because that doesn't go on the financial aid applications either. So unusual drop of, of an income, unusual high high expenses, maybe someone moved in, you have to support them or something like that. Um, and then the third one is a better offer from a competitor college, not from a school that's like way below that in terms of the uh, the, the tier of, of college. So what I mean is, you know, a school that's basically looking for the same type of students. Those are the three most common um, scenarios. Okay. A uh, question Surely. from Christine. How do the financial powers that be verify what you input into the form? Okay, so as I had already mentioned, the FAFSA is going to directly pull in your IRS submitted tax information. So that is how they verify your tax information, as well as you supply a copy of your tax return to many of the schools. In terms of your asset information, so here's how they have a little bit of a clue as to what you maybe should or shouldn't have. Uh, and this scenario came up on a, a CSS profile I was working on today. Um, in this case, the, the there was a warning uh, before the family submitted the CSS profile that said, you know, data checks 
you have you reported all asset information because we really? yes it that does new? it warns you no it's not new yeah. and so they they asked me well you know what that in this warning what does that mean it's like when, and I when said, alexa goes off <laughs> and, uh, when you're just saying the word alexa right so alexa what, buy every one of andy lockwood's books so what uh what happened in this case was on the on this family's 2022 tax return they had both dividend and interest income on showing up on lines uh, 2b and 3b so if you have money if you have income on lines 2b and 3b that sh that tells a financial aid officer that you also have an asset that generated that income at that and time at that time so now in this particular instance we had failed to indicate that that they had anything except some cash checking and savings we said they had no in non-retirement investments so that's why they got this warning because it didn't it didn't match up and then i had asked but i said well did you have any you know non-retirement investments perhaps you forgot to mention and lo and behold, you know, oh yeah, well we have this little like account for seventy thousand okay. dollars. Right. I was like, oh, let's put that in. But that's not always the case, right? No, so, it's so, not. And so, then right, it could have so, been the case where they sold that asset, and well, this is twenty twenty two's tax return, and that's why it's there. You have an explanation. That's great. You just need to be prepared to defend that. And well, I was going to some say. schools. Yeah, just jump in here. Nope. You can one moment. Some schools oh. may also do what's called an asset verification where they will see your information and then want some further backup not every school i'm saying one particular school could be looking at your information and decide they want it randomly they want to ask you for more information and in that instance they could ask you for supporting bank statements etc so that's how it comes up may i have permission to speak sure okay what I was going to say was along those lines of it may not be something bad that they're catching on uh, onto is that at the last minute we do a lot of sheltering of assets that you know taking them from places that hurt you in the financial aid form is transferring them or depositing them in instruments that are exempt from the financial aid application right and if a college brings up with pro, the scenario that Pro was just describing, they said, well, wait a minute, where's the asset that threw off this interest or these dividends, et cetera? You have to be prepared to defend. Well, I took care of some basic financial planning needs by doing A or B or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. So it's not just just because it's a, a triggered question doesn't mean you're dead in the water. You just yeah. have to be prepared to answer it. And if exactly. you're doing everything above board, there's nothing to worry about. Right, that's exactly right. Okay, question from Thank Steve Thank you Stacey. for letting me speak. If I were, if I was married filing jointly in 2022 and divorced filing alone in 24, is there a way to identify that uh, on the new FAFSA? Okay, so there are there are a couple of there are two different questions on the FAFSA that will illuminate that. The one question is they'll ask about what was your filing status in 2022, and that answer would be married filing jointly. But then there's a next question is, what is the current marital status of the student's parents? And in that instance, you would say separated or divorced. And in that, in that kind of nexus, nexus um, you will need to, if you're the custodial parent, parse out 
your income information from the 2022 tax return and only put your information in the FAFSA if you're now divorced. And I will add Nexus, Parse, Corpus, all in one hour. <laughs> and complete. And complete. Best financial aid webinar okay. ever that uses those four words. Um, uh, question from Bonnie. So what about equal custody? My ex pays more for support, but I claim the child. Again, the test is which parent provided more financial support in the last 12 months to the student? That's the test. You need to find more stuff that you're paying for, which is probably not hard to do. Okay. Question from Cheryl. My daughter will graduate from community college in December. She will continue for her four-year degree, but we don't know where, where, and it won't be until September 2024, the earliest. When do we have to file the FAFSA? Uh, well, the FAFSA is going to come out around New Year's Eve, so sometime thereafter. Is that our Cheryl? It is. Hello, our Cheryl. Long time. It sure is. Um, Right. Obviously, when you have the list of schools that she's applying to. Um, but shortly after the new year is when we would file. Okay. Um, you said to get an early start regard with regard to getting your financial aid ducks in a row. How early is optimal? Well, if there's stuff you can do to control your income, which right. may be the case, then you want to do ideally before the two-year look back. So, For any 11, parents of 11th graders, right now we're still in 2023 to the extent that you can meaningfully, you know, affect your 23 income tax return. Obviously, if you have two W-2 wage earners, there's not as much you can do. But I would ask the legend Rick right. about that one. Yes. Um, so. If, if 11th grade meeting class of 2025, they're going to be looking at your 2023 tax returns. If you have someone graduating 26, then we haven't hit that base year. This is still the end of the year before your base year. This is a great time, potentially, if there's stuff you can do. Pearl. Okay. Yes. Hi. Hi. Next question. I was just trying to. Uh, question from Lorraine. How can they take? I think it says LLC, it says LIC, but I think you mean LLC in financial aid when you are not the full owner, you would indicate your percentage of ownership. That is actually a question on the CSS. It asks you for your percentage of ownership and you should be reporting only your your percentage of the gross receipts, your percentage of the gross um, expenses, et cetera. Yeah. You have to do some arithmetic. A little bit of math, easy math. When you're the owner of a lick. Exactly. Uh, um, okay. Concentrate. Does the does the way parents file married filing separately affect the FAFSA? Both parents are still considered correct. Yes, correct. In fact, it makes no difference. It, all the income information is going to come in. It's household. It's household, right? Conversely, and I don't know if I was talking about this with you around or with somebody else. In it off, this is out of the scope of this, but we mentioned it before, that can affect your eligibility for student loan repayment plans that That's Pearl is an expert on. There's something like 126 scenarios, and it does matter 
potentially it's how you file very very meaningful in in it can be very meaningful in terms of what your monthly payments are what how you file and that i'll just say this again yeah that is outside the scope of this discussion because that is a totally different service but just to give you something to keep you up in yeah. the middle of the night but if you have so so most people that. probably don't have loans that are eligible for repayment but if you do and you want our help you can just email us um yeah it's also uh, the website is yesterdaysdebt.com can you put that in there just so people can see it so again i'm just going to pertain to most if any uh, most people if anyone on this call but yesterdaysdebt.com is where we describe our consulting service that we are soft launching we haven't fully launched it because pearl's busy okay question from preeti once the financial aid is determined and accepted how do you go about applying for loans would the loan be in the student's name or the parent great question okay so students are able to get only a certain capped amount each year in, and those amounts are fixed freshman students can borrow 5500 in their own name that amount goes up to 6500 in the sophomore year that amount goes up to 7500 in the junior year and the senior year and any additional undergraduate years needed to complete the undergraduate degree, the student can then borrow $7,500 a year. Okay, the parent can borrow the rest of the cost of attendance that is needed, minus what the student gets and minus what is otherwise granted to the student, or can borrow a specified dollar amount. They can borrow either $20,000, whatever, or some other number, or, and this is literally the language in the loan, up to the cost of de attendance, comma, as determined by the school, room, board, tuition, et cetera. And the reason why I'm really enunciating that as determined by the school bit is in, let's just take the freshman year out of it when most students live on campus in the dorm, et cetera. Let's take a sophomore in college who decides to live off campus in an apartment with friends, but the parents would still like to borrow for some of that off-campus housing expense. It is not correct to, to compute in your head, okay, so the cost of this school is $80,000, tuition is 50, so I'm only having my kid go there for tuition and I'm gonna do the room and board, they're gonna give me a check for 30,000 for the rest because that's what I need. It does not work like that. Nice okay? apartment. What? It'd be a nice apartment. It would be a nice apartment the way but so so what the way it works in that instance is the you can indicate i want to borrow the whole cost of attendance for my off-campus student residing off campus and the government will then send you know money to the school the school will internally recognize that that student's only staying for tuition keep the tuition money and then recognize oh this is an off-campus student who wants to borrow the whole thing we've determined that for our off-campus housing kids they're going to get a reimbursement of five thousand dollars for the semester and then they send the parent a check for five thousand dollars and typically this happens after they have to pay rent and some expenses for that off-campus housing and it's used more often to reimburse some of the expense and what i encourage all of my clients to do is to if, if they're thinking about living off campus, contact the financial aid office 
at their school to find out. I don't know. I don't want you to tell me because you know you're going to tell me that you don't know the number yet, what you're going to allot for the off-campus housing expense next year. But what was it this year? Because I just need an idea so that I can budget when I go apartment hunting in the spring now or now for next year and have an, a real idea of what I'm likely to get back. Okay. I digress. Well, no, I think it's actually, uh, it could even be earlier than that, right? I mean, with, with our daughter, Lizzie, she was lining up her next year's apartment. She's in done. Ann Arbor. She's released already for no, next but she year. Did, when she got to, uh, she's in Michigan, when she got to Ann Arbor this summer, it was like, like three weeks or something where she was signing a lease for the next year. Yeah. Or, or maybe that was last year. It's all blending in. Um, I actually think we should, we should wrap up here because it's been over an hour and a half. So um, if you have any other questions, yeah. please feel free to reach out to us. Again, take us up on this strategy session offer unless, well, we were arguing this. I don't think we can handle anyone with a November 1 deadline because she works like a farm animal. She likes to do that. Um, but, you know, it may be, you may not, we may not be able to meet until after the first just because our, our calendar is, is, is pretty packed. <clears throat> um, either way, thank you for participating i hope you find this i uh, found this very valuable yes. it's a real unparalleled opportunity to to get these questions answered by P pearl who for years has done 400 plus families worth of financial aid applications each year this is a very tricky year it's coming up if you need our help we're here to help you uh, either way wish you good luck and um closing comments words, uh, best of luck don't 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 lose your hat, your head in this. It's it's okay. It's gonna panic. be okay. The year comes to an end <laughs> at some point. Do not panic, citizens. Don't panic. All right. Take care. Thanks for Good joining luck. us.